0: Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters.
1: Traditionally speaking, a utility patent holds a little bit more weight and is a little bit more valuable. When we were going through the process, we were led to believe that utilities are a little bit stronger in the IP portfolio.
0: Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to work with a patent attorney, the difference between a design and utility patent, and how to build trust with your first retailer client. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Kindis from the Aqua Vault. The Aqua Vault is a portable outdoor travel safe where you can lock up your valuables and go for a worry-free swim. And we started in 2011 and based out of Miami Beach, Florida. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So the you know the quick intro I gave it certainly resonates with me. I think with a lot of listeners, this problem that that we have. Talk to us a little bit more about talk to us about how this product works.
1: And so. I'll give you a little background, kinda of how we started. Obviously, there was always that concern you went to the beach or the pool that you really don't know where to put your valuables. Um, most people stick it in their shoes, tuck it under their chair, cover it with a towel, go for the swim, always somewhat concerned that their stuff is gonna be missing. More than likely, you'll come back and everything is there, but on that off chance that that one day you come back and everything is gone, Needless to say, it ruins your entire day, week, weekend, whatever it is. It's never a fun scenario. And so a couple of years back, uh, a couple of friends and myself decided to stay at one of the resorts in South Beach. And we did exactly that. We put our stuff in our shoes, tucked them under the lounge chairs, went for a swim, constantly looking back over our shoulder at our chairs, thinking that, you know, if we look every minute, every two minutes, there's no chance that somebody's going to come by and steal our stuff. Um, fast forward, you know, five, 10 minutes, we come back, everything is gone. So instantly the idea came upon us that there needs to be something where you can lock up your valuables, go for a swim, not have to worry and constantly look over your shoulder, not have to have somebody from the group to stay back and watch everything like that is a problem that needs to be solved. And right then there is kind of where we decided, all right, let's invent something.
0: Mm. And did you have a background in inventing products, starting companies? What what was your experience level at that point?
1: I had zero background in inventing anything. (laughs) Um, My background is finance. Work in Wall Street. I was a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. My partners had zero uh, background in uh, inventions and startups as well. And we all kind of just put the idea together and said, you know what? We've had ideas our entire life. We never really executed on them this was the perfect opportunity for us to take that chance and kind of see where it goes.
0: Mm, Yeah, I think a lot of folks listening, a lot of entrepreneurs, of course, were at that point, at some point, where they hadn't invented anything, haven't started a business before, but have an idea, and had that moment where they were like, you know what, we've had ideas, we've always thought about ideas, but never executed on them, let's go ahead with this one and push it all the way through. So when you had that that kind of, epiphany that let's push this through. What what did you recognize as the first steps towards turning this idea into a reality?
1: Um, well, we realized we had to do somewhat of a patent search. So, you know, we started to do the patent search on our own. We found nothing out there. Then we decided to take the next step and hire a patent attorney and have them do a more thorough search. Um, they came back and said, "Listen." You guys are onto something. I think you have a strong case. I think you come out with something that doesn't exist. And as soon as we got the validation from the professional, we said, all right, this is the time that we have to execute because even though it hasn't happened until this point, someone eventually will come out with this idea and capitalize. Um, So we made a very quick decision to move forward. Um, We had a lot riding on this decision because we all had promising careers that we knew ultimately we would have to leave if this worked out. So we decided, you know what, let's just move forward.
0: Mm. Now, what what goes into a patent search? If someone out there also has an idea and they have a feeling that someone else might have come up with it because it's such an obvious idea to create, how do you begin searching around to see if there is someone already uh, holding a patent for your idea?
1: So the approach that we took was going into Google. They have their own patent search um, as part of the overall search engine. And once we narrowed down to um, somewhat, well, we had a broad search, okay? And we knew that we were not professionals in this, so we figured, listen, if we can't find a patent out there, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, that just means that we couldn't find it. And by us not finding anything, it gave us somewhat of a more confident position Um, but then we realized, listen, we, this is the point that we have to hire a professional to come in and really validate, you know, that stance because our patent search wasn't bulletproof, you know, so it's a good place to start. Uh, It doesn't cost anything. It's very easy to navigate, but it's certainly not a, uh, a thorough search in our opinion. And if you're going to dedicate time and capital to a business, we figured it's best to start off with professional just to give you a validation that you're moving in the right
0: direction. Got it, so this this patent search that you performed yourself wasn't so much to be an exhaustive search, it's just a preliminary thing that if you were to find something by searching yourself that matched the product that you came up with, you would probably pivot or come up with some other idea to pursue, but you didn't find anything in your own search, but you wanted something more thorough, so you sought out a patent attorney. Talk to us about that process. What is it like to, Well, how do you find a patent attorney? How do you work with one?
1: Well, we started researching online. We started speaking to people we knew to get a referral because um, we know that you can't trust everything you read online, Mm -hmm. so we felt a little more comfortable with talking to people that we knew to see if anybody came highly recommended, Um, and that's actually what wound up happening. And so one thing led to another, and we started to work with multiple patent attorneys over time and filed multiple patents. I mean, we spent probably 2 years behind the scenes just filing, you know, patent after patent to really protect ourselves because we kind of had a defensive strategy um in a sense that we want to really protect ourselves behind the scenes before we hit the market because in the event that the idea did take off, we wanted to make sure that we were pretty insulated in terms of IP.
0: Mm. So it, it sounds like a very expensive process then, you know, two years working with attorneys, two years working on, on filing and, and creating a patent for your product, for your idea. Can you share a little bit about how much budget someone should set aside if they are to go ahead and hire a patent attorney to do this research to discover if there is a patent out there and then eventually also to file a patent for you?
1: Um, that's a difficult question because... Different patent attorneys charge different amounts I mean you can go from the low range all the way up to you know much much more exponentially greater um, and so not only does the hourly rate play a role but the complexity of the invention is also going to play a big factor mm-hmm. um, and so depending upon how complicated an idea is you know whether it involves electronics whether it involves um, whether it's as simple as a paper clip I mean you, you can get where I'm going with this. I mean, there's a lot of different factors, but you certainly need to set aside, I would say 20 to 40,000 to start, um, on an entry level.
0: Mm, yeah, that, that certainly is, could be out of the budget for, for, for many entrepreneurs that are starting out for the first time. And the talk to us about the usefulness of this pen. Have you had to, you know, getting specifics, but have you, have you had to rely on the pen at any point since you've gotten it?
1: We have not had to rely upon it. Um, it's certainly there in case we need to, and we have several there in case we need to, but as of yet, we have not had to um, basically bring it forth.
0: It probably does deter people too, right? If they come along and see something that they might want to copy, and they find out that it's patented, then that might be the reason why you haven't had to use it because it already scares off potential uh, copycats.
1: Um. We would hope so, but we know that patents don't necessarily deter everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe it's certainly deterrent, it certainly holds weight. If we need to pursue it, we have the means to do so, but there are those people and entities out there who don't necessarily um, shy away from you know, mm-hmm. patents. So it's better to have it than not to have it, but uh, you can't prevent people from doing what they're gonna do anyways.
0: Right. Now what what goes into this process? Do you once you hire a patent attorney, uh, I'm assuming they're still gonna of course rely heavily on you, work with you very closely and it's not something somebody you just hire and then have them run the entire thing. Like what is an entrepreneur's involvement typically when you when you want to patent an, an idea?
1: So it's never gonna really be a seamless process where you submit and you get the approval right away. If if that happens, I've never heard of it happening. Um from our experience, the patent attorney drafts all the documents, he submits to the USPTO. Um they correspond back and forth. There are some rejections, there are you know, there's a time period that goes by where you're just basically having to support your idea and its uniqueness, and that's where the attorney goes back and forth with the office and basically creates, I guess they, they create a case that will make you unique enough to where you will get issued. Um, if the patent office sees right through it and says, listen, this is not unique. They're going to come back and say, these are all the reasons why you are not different enough to get a patent. And then it's up to patent attorney to come back and get around, um, all of the, all examples
0: yeah, does if the office patent office comes back to you and says that this is not a different enough idea, different enough product for you to be awarded a, 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 rewarded a patent, does that mean that the patent attorney needs to go back and reword or redescribe the product or the utility of the product, or does it actually mean that it has to go back to you guys and you have to change the product so that it can uh, I guess deserve a patent?
1: Changes have to be made one way or the other. And so the attorney is most likely to come back and say, listen, this is the problem with the way we submitted it. Either we have to make certain changes to increase our chances um, or the likelihood of them accepting is not really there. So at that point in time, you have to kind of navigate around and figure out what changes you can live with and what changes you really don't want to um Reposition.
0: Mm. And can you share what, what is unique about your product that ultimately uh, won you the, the patent claim?
1: So one of the patents is the way that it um, closes on certain fixtures. We have design patents which support how the product actually looks. Um, and so we went for both utilities and design patents.
0: Got it. Now, the, can you explain the difference, uh, I guess, maybe at a high level between the two types of patents and which one might make sense for, you know, which types of products?
1: So, it's as simple as a utility patent is the way the product actually functions, and a design patent is how the product looks. Um, traditionally speaking, a utility patent holds a little bit more weight and is a little bit more valuable. When we were going through the process, we were led to believe that utilities are a little bit stronger in the IP portfolio.
0: Mm, makes sense. Now, when you were going through this process of getting this patent, were you, at the same time, manufacturing the product? What was happening during, I guess, in 2011 is when you started working on the product and began the patent process. What was going on during that time while you are waiting for, for the, for the patents? I'm assuming you didn't want to go public at all with this yet until you had something defensible.
1: Correct. And so... In the initial stages, we were just getting a feel for the market um, by showing friends and family, showing people that are somewhat close to us, because at that point, we really didn't trust anybody, so we wanted to keep it close to the chest, and we wanted to get validation from the market that basically tells us, listen, this is a good idea. It's not just you guys that like your unique invention. Um, We wanted to make sure that it will resonate with people and it's something that they can use, they can buy, and they can themselves continuing to buy down the road. As soon as we got that validation, we decided to take it a little bit further um, and bring it to a trade show. And we figured as soon as we left that trade show, it was either going to be really good or really bad. And luckily for us, we felt confident when we left that trade show that people really loved the idea. So at that point in time, we said we're onto something, and let's just really go into sixth gear.
0: Mm, so while you were waiting for the patent to be issued, and you were just you know testing this out with friends and family, were you? prototyping or or manufacturing these at a small run yourselves? How did you make sure that word didn't spread when you need it? Because the the, the product looks like it needs to be obviously made by professionals. You can't just be done by hand. So what were you doing to create uh, prototypes I guess of the product while trying to keep it a secret?
1: So we sourced an engineer. Um, He started to make prototypes for us. We went through about six different prototypes before we decided upon one that we actually liked. Um, But we made a decision initially that we are not going to go into mass production until we all feel confident that this idea really has legs and gives us enough confidence to really take it to the next level. Because once you start going into manufacturing, creating the mold, now you're incurring, exponentially greater costs um, and that in itself will take the business to the next level
0: mm. so that that confidence came from the success at your your first trade show talk a little bit more about that which trade show did you end up going to and what was your actual experience like uh, at the show
1: this was the Impex trade show I believe it was in Philly um, and this was an inventor's trade show where we just took the idea and said what you know, our intent wanted to meet manufacturers there, engineers, um, patent attorneys. We wanted to meet everybody in the same under the same roof. And we just wanted them to give us their opinion on the idea. We wanted to see if people were gonna laugh at the idea. We want to see if people were gonna come over and say we wanna work with you. We want to see if people were gonna line up and wanna work with us. We want to gauge Product. Um, and that was really our first benchmark for how we think we, you know, what type of business we thought we had.
0: Mm, okay. So did were you attempting to just sell any units at that time? Like where, did you have any, I guess metrics that you were trying to hit from the trade show or were you just trying to get a feel for how the market received it?
1: Yeah, we went there with a prototype wasn't even a finished prototype um, we basically wanted to gauge people's interest and acceptance for the product, and based upon their level of conviction was going to determine i guess how much effort we put into this idea because we know that family and friends can give us you know one level of i guess interpretation of the product, mm-hmm. but once you get into a completely different environment with complete strangers who are professionals who are looking basically just to make money. That's all I care about. There's they're black and white. They have no emotion to us. And so we relied upon that experience to really determine whether or not, you know, we thought we had a product that would sell.
0: Mm, yeah, super honest because again, they have no affiliation with you, and they will essentially vote with their dollars um, when it comes to your product. Uh, were, were there was there any? It sounded like a very positive experience overall. Was there any kind of constructive criticism or feedback that you got from that trade show that you just, that you as a group decided to take and implement?
1: Nothing in particular. I mean, maybe a couple people said, "You guys have something here. We can tweak it a little bit." and make it a little bit more appealing or aesthetically pleasing. But overall, the concept was there, and that's the validation we were looking for. We knew that there was a slim chance we were going to come up with a perfect prototype to bring there. We knew that we were going to go through a series of different prototypes. And even though we hit our fifth or sixth one and brought that to the trade show, we figured that's not going to be our final product. But let's learn from everyone around us and take a couple of feathers out of everyone's calves and figure, all right, what can we gather from this trade show and how can we parlay that into perfecting this idea?
0: got it so obviously you are taking advice and and reactions and feedback from from the market from friends and family and it sounds like a one of one person is running this company or a part of this company at this time how do you kind of uh, boil that all down to not only determine which advice to to take in but then make those decisions internally as well because i'm assuming there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions how do you guys boil it down to, to making the decision on whether to pursue a feature, a design, a, a, you know, basically how do you decide how to build a product based on all of these opinions?
1: So my two partners and myself, we kind of have you know, a system where we all have to agree upon a decision before moving forward. And then if there are any particular points of contention, you know, that individual has to articulate why they think their position makes the most sense, you know, we have an honest discussion back and forth, and then decisions are made, you know, based upon arguments that are made by each individual person.
0: Mm, got it. Now, what about the the opinions that were coming from the outside, from people at the trade show, from friends and family, people that are saying, "If you tweak this, if you change this, I would love to buy it." Like, how do you know what advice to actually take and which what which to discard?
1: It's kind of that snap judgment. I mean, you get a feeling for certain people. Certain people, you're not really going to pay much attention to their opinion, um, although you respect it, you listen to it. You know, deep down inside, it's not of much value and then there's some people out there that you can instantly tell, all right, this person really knows what they're talking about. I respect their decision and their opinion holds weight. I think it could sway the way we make our decision. And so obviously not every opinion is created equal. You just have to be, you know, you have to be able to tell on your own whose opinion makes sense and whose doesn't know, be respectful always, but deep down inside, know whose decision really matters in terms of how you analyze the decision that you want to make,
0: right now for you personally, when you are talking to someone, what do you look for in a person to evaluate whether they're you're going to? I mean, obviously, you, like you were saying, you're saying, you'll be respectful for everybody. But how, how how do you what do you look for in a person and what they're talking about to evaluate whether you will seriously consider their their opinion or not?
1: I mean, you can gauge their intelligence on a certain subject. You can perceive how they conduct themselves. You can tell whether or not they're giving you honest advice, whether they have a motive. You can get a, you, know, you can ask them for a track record. You can ask them what they've done, what they've accomplished. You can kind of get an idea for what somebody has done. And sometimes that can sway your decision one way or the other, but it, that's not the silver bullet. It's, it really comes down to how you feel. I mean, it's very hard mm-hmm. to be able to gauge somebody's opinion while sitting with them for 10 minutes. I mean, it's not enough time to really dig into it. So you're going to have to go with, like I said, your snap judgment and go with your gut and make a decision as to whether or not you respect their opinion. Or it's an opinion that you're just gonna
0: look by past. Right. So I guess if you had to boil it down to a checklist, it sounds like you look for that kind of context. Like where are they coming from with this opinion? Do they have experience in the space? Are they, you know, a subject matter expert on the particular advice they're giving you or not? And don't just take anyone's advice but think about what is their essentially their background that they're coming from when they give this advice. I think that's a really good point. So now the success of the trade show, show you guys have left the trade show. That, are you all still, at this point, still had day jobs? Or like, what was the situation uh, with your lives, I guess, at this point?
1: No, we all left our careers uh, maybe two or three years ago in between that point in time. Um, it wasn't all exactly at the same time. It was pretty close in time. But we are multiple years out of our careers and full-time with the aqua
0: vault but at, at this point at, at, during this uh time frame where you were leaving the trade show you guys all still were working jobs I'm assuming right because that was that was almost like four years ago correct all three of us got it so once you left that trade show what was the next step you knew that this what this had a lot this had legs this had potential what was the next step after that
1: we started to do a little bit of research on the overall market you know who can be our target market is it going to be just hotels is it going to be water parks, theme parks, cruise ships. I mean, we started to really take a dive into the overall market and figure out who are we going to target with this good idea. Um, and so a lot of research started going into play.
0: And you mentioned targeting like hotels. You meant like selling these in bulk to a hotel that will like rent them out or something. What was the the idea behind that?
1: Right. So we didn't necessarily know how to propose it. We figured we have a good idea People will use this. How are we going to get the market to accept it? Are we going to sell them to hotels? Are we going to lease them to hotels? Are we going to sell them to individuals? Are we going to do a hybrid of both? So we had a lot on our hands trying to figure out what was the best way to present the idea. And it was a little bit overwhelming because you don't want to walk into a hotel and appear like you have no idea what you're doing or mm. you don't have any method in play or that's the first hotel you've ever been at so you know they're going to look at you and say you're using us as a guinea pig so you kind of have to walk in there with some degree of confidence and a system and almost act like that's a, not your first hotel because you want the first so it was kind of Designing the way that we're going to pitch this product to whoever. It.
0: Got it. And so, how how did you test? You know, which distribution channels uh, or which markets to to go after first? Like, well, what what did you do to to determine where your area of focus as a company should be?
1: So we figured we'll do a little bit of everything, and we're going to see what sticks the best.
0: And what ended up happening? What was the, the, the result of that, that test?
1: So we wound up going to one of the hotels in South Beach and arranged for a weekend where we set up the vaults at one of the beach huts. And we just wanted to take you know the guest temperature on how they would interact with the product. Now, this is something they've never seen before. Are they going to look at it and say, really neat idea and walk past it and have no interest in it? Are they going to say, you know, where has this been all my life? I need it right now and instantly start using it and adopting it into the lifestyle. We want to see if the hotel is going to say, we need this today. Let's roll them out. Or they're going to say, listen, you know, it sounds like a good idea, but this has never existed before. We don't know how it's going to do. We don't necessarily know if our customers need this. So let's just kind of test it and see how it does and maybe, you know, take two, three, four months, and if the product does well and it's well-received, then we'll roll it out. So we didn't know what to expect, but we took it out there, and we had a positive response from the employees and the guests. So we figured we can probably do a hybrid and sell the product and rent it at hotels. And that's when we decided that week and that that was probably going to be our model going forward.
0: Mm. You, you mentioned that you it was a very um, challenging time because this was going to be your first potential client, but you didn't want to come across as your as the you know the the first customer that you were you were going after with this with this hotel. How did you prepare? What was your approach to get them to believe in you to to trust you as a company, as a product, as a brand to essentially be your first? You know, I mean, you didn't want them to think that they were guinea pigs, but they were. Getting pigs at the end of the day. How did you get them to trust you in this experience?
1: We kind of went in there with the idea that, listen, we're going to be completely transparent with you. We have a great idea. You can tell from the surface that this is a really good idea. We haven't necessarily figured out exactly how we're going to roll this out yet, but if you can give us a chance and prove that we are very capable of rolling this product out effectively and we think your guests will be very receptive to this product, you really have nothing to lose. I mean, at the end of the weekend, if it's not a good turnout, we take the product, we move on, we never come back to your resort again. If it does do very well, at least to help a a group of entrepreneurs pursue the idea, we'll give you aggressive pricing because you're the first hotel we're going to start with. And you really, really have nothing to lose. I mean, as long as... They liked the idea, um, and they can see the potential for it. Realistically, they were just helping us get a start, and if it worked out great, and if it didn't, that's also okay.
0: Mm, Got it. So now you had this success at this hotel, and one thing we haven't even mentioned on this podcast yet was that you guys went on Shark Tank and ended up a successful appearance on Shark Tank. Tell us about this. When did this happen? Was this before or after the hotel uh, experiments? What was the timeline here?
1: The hotel experience was prior to Shark Tank. Um, We went on to Shark Tank maybe six months later. um, And that experience completely magnified our brand because it made a lot more people aware of what we had to offer that never knew about us beforehand. It's just completely sped up that curve for us.
0: Mm, So let's talk about the experience first. I definitely want to talk about the results of being on TV, on national television. You went in there uh, seeking a deal, ended up uh, getting a deal, at least on air, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but getting a deal with Damon for $75,000 in exchange for 25% of the company. And I know that with Shark Tank, you know, things may change after a fact. What was the result at the end? Were you able to ultimately secure a deal with Damon?
1: So we did secure a deal with Damon. He works very closely with us, closer now than ever before. Um, the deal that you saw was the deal in the show. It got slightly renegotiated. Um, we just cannot divulge the sure. intricacies of a deal, but. Just know that the deal still stands, and we work together, you know, on a very frequent basis.
0: Yeah. So, what is it like working with him? You you said that he works with you very closely. Obviously, a super busy man. Like, how does he work with you? To how does he? I guess, how does he work with you? I mean, I'm assuming in a limited time that he gets with you.
1: He's great. I mean, I can't say anything negative about him. He's got a very positive relationship with us. He's extremely open with us. You know, he never not answers a call, not answers a text. He's super responsive and he's very open to communication. So it's not like he delegates. I mean, he is close with us himself. So we're truly appreciative of that.
0: Mm. now when you work with him do you approach him with particular let's say that you guys are in your day-to-day and when does it come to mind okay let's ask damon for advice and what kind of advice do you typically go to him uh for for help with
1: if we have a complicated deal um if we think that there's more negotiation on the table that we may not be taking advantage of because you know a certain establishment that we're talking with um is much much bigger than us so we feel like our leverage is really not there we'll ask him if we can negotiate a little bit further if he thinks that whoever we're talking to is a hard stop and they're not going to budget at all because obviously he has more experience than us dealing with a lot of these larger corporations um so we basically pick his brain off of the experience and the success that he's seen himself. Mm-hmm. So that's something that we wouldn't necessarily back to.
0: Right. So his experience is obviously invaluable and not many people have been able to have that kind of experience and that background that he has. Um, what, what, what about, what, what is the, what, what have you found is the most valuable business advice that he's given your team? I couldn't
1: pin it down to an exact quote or an exact, you know, comment. But overall, his advice has been on point. Everything he tells us makes sense, whether we realize it at the moment or it takes a little bit of time. Um, usually, what he tells us is the best option.
0: Mm, okay. Is there anything that maybe not specific quote or anything, but just based on working with him? If you were to uh you know I guess give your own advice based on things that you learned from him, like what would it be like what kind of area would you say that you would tell people to focus on?
1: If I had to pin it to one thing, maybe it comes down to just working as hard as you possibly can, being relentless and not giving up because you know you can go working fifteen hours a day in and out and not see the success that you want when you want it but maybe that work pans out you know a year and a half two years three years down the road and if you didn't have the patience to endure all the ups and downs throughout that cycle you may not necessarily be around to see the fruits of your labor um, if you don't wait long enough so it's it's not going to be a smooth ride Mm -hmm. there's going to be big ups big downs and sometimes these ups and downs are day by day you can be on top of the world one day next day you're They're thinking, what's going on? How is this happening? And so stability really isn't there when you're first starting out, but you just have to kind of put your blinders on and realize you're embarking on a journey. It's going to be a ride. Just be patient and work as hard as you possibly can because Mm -hmm. somebody behind you is always trying to work a little bit harder than you to basically catch up and pass you.
0: Right. So work as hard as you can, but then have the patience to, to see the results and don't expect payoff right away. And I guess kind of the, the related question to, to this is, what do you find other entrepreneurs maybe spend too much time on working too hard on when they should be focusing elsewhere? What do you find that a lot of entrepreneurs essentially waste their time on?
1: I don't know if I know exactly what they waste their time on but I can say always be open to change because the way you think today may not necessarily be the way you have to think, you know, six months down the road. And if the environment changes, just be cognizant of the fact that your initial thought isn't always going to be the best thought. Um, and just keep your eyes open and realize that, like I said, the environment will change. So as long as you can navigate around and embrace the change, you're going to be much better off than being stubborn and and not wanting to divert from your initial thought.
0: Mm, Can you give an example of this where you've had to pivot as a company based on, on changes that that came your way?
1: A specific example we had to change. Oh, I would say one of our prototypes, maybe it's our third or fourth prototype. We had a completely different design and we took the advice from somebody saying maybe you should make it a little bit different. And although we didn't necessarily want to change design because we put so much time and effort and many different drawings to get to a design that we all kind of liked, somebody brought a different angle to us. And we said, you know what? The argument makes sense. You know what? Let's just move forward with that because realistically, although we committed so much time to a certain design, you know, they articulated why they thought the different design would make sense. And it was something that we all didn't see initially. And so we made that decision to move in a completely different direction from what we all thought was going to be the finished product.
0: Mm, so part of that sounds like don't be tied to an idea, don't be tied to a path just because of sunk costs, right? Thing and you've invested time and money into something, but that doesn't mean that in itself is not enough reason to stick to a path if you have compelling reasons, compelling data to tell you to go in a different direction.
1: Correct. I and mean, you have to be able to cut losses. So even though you dedicate a certain amount of time and energy into one specific thing, whatever it may be, if 95% of the way through you figure out, you know what, this is not the best option, you have to be willing to write that off and start from scratch again, knowing that the direction that you're now going is going to put you you know, into a better situation down the road.
0: Mm, yeah, it's certainly a scary... Uh, crossroads, essentially, to get to where you are so close to pushing all the way through on this one path, when you know in the back of your back of your mind that it's not going to bring the same results as if you had gone a different direction and it's never too late to change like you're saying cut your losses and start moving in the right direction now let's talk about the results of being on shark tank so you've done the recording uh, you know several months or however long passes it goes on air what was that first day that first week that first month like after being on television
1: it was incredible i mean it's the difference between Your phone never ringing and all of a sudden your phone starts ringing and emails start (laughs) coming in and your inbox is flooded. I mean, we had an idea of what to to expect, although that's never guaranteed. Um, We prepared for the best. We hoped for the best. And all of a sudden, you know, the business felt like it took a completely different turn. And now a lot of people knew of who we were and what we are offering. So it was amazing to say the least.
0: What, what kind of doors opened for you after Shark Tank that weren't open prior to Shark Tank?
1: It's not necessarily that doors opened that never opened before, but it was more like certain places that you didn't necessarily know how to get into or had the right contacts to get into were reaching out to you because either they saw you or somebody who knew them saw you, reached out to them. And they got to you from that. And
0: so this entire time prior to Shark Tank, you're kind of in like a push mode, keep on pushing, 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 and then being on Shark Tank is like magnetic. Now you're pulling all of these uh, opportunities towards you rather than chasing them down like you were before because of all of the exposure.
1: Right. I mean, we were before Shark Tank and even after Shark Tank, we still did just because, you know, we maintained a certain work ethic that really they never navigated, you know, elsewhere from, But we would walk into hotel after hotel, boutique after boutique. I didn't care if it was a small store, you know, a massive store. We walked into so many different places because we knew that there was a very good chance they never heard of us, they've never seen anything like us, and there was a good chance that they can actually use something like, you know, our product. And so the only way to really get out there and have all these people know who you are is by walking in, unless you have an unlimited marketing budget to where, you know, most startups don't have that. So it comes down to boots on the ground, walking into all these businesses.
0: Mm. Is that your marketing strategy today? Like, what has, now that you've been on Shark Tank, um, and I want to talk a little bit at some point about the Indiegogo campaign that you have going on, which has already surpassed the goal, but what, what's been your most successful marketing strategy? How do you get people to, find about find out about the product and ultimately buy it today?
1: So we reach out to anyone and everyone. I mean, we are very relentless when it comes out to, or when it comes down to reaching out to the public, letting them know what we have. So every editor, every journalist, every blogger, we just, any time that we're not spent, that we're not spending generating business, we are looking for people to Cover the product, find interest in the product, and expose our product to their audience.
0: And is that responsibility spread to all three of you? Like, how does that, who's responsible for getting out there as one person, or how, how do you, what's the strategy for getting uh, as much exposure as possible?
1: So it's a joint effort. We all try as hard as we can. You know, one day one of us may have more time than the next. It's not exactly spread evenly every single day, but overall, we all put in you know, our best effort to get as many people as we possibly can to cover our products.
0: Got it. And I want to talk before we go about this Indiegogo campaign that you're currently running as we're talking today. Already blew past the, the meager, I guess, goal of $20,000 and raised over $200,000 from over 1,700 backers on Indiegogo. This is, for, is this a new product that you're coming out with?
1: Correct. So our initial Aqua Vault, that's what put us on the map. That's, that's what basically told people, okay, this is a new product. This is its use. This is how you're going to use it. And we took information from, you know, all of our customers and, and suggestions and we figured, okay, what do you guys like about this product? What do you dislike about this product? And we started to realize that people liked you know, a softer, less cumbersome product. That's when we came up with the FlexSafe. And then to take it a step further, we realized that it'd be pretty neat if we incorporated a motion alarm sensor and a solar charger um, and a couple other features to this product to really make it the ultimate portable safe. And that's when we decided to launch a crowdfunding campaign and release that to the market to really see if they accepted it or not. And like you said, the acceptance has been tremendous.
0: Yeah, and it says here as of today, over a thousand percents. Uh, of the goal has been reached um, and it, it's for the FlexSafe Plus and we get a bunch of more features that you had just listed just there. Um, so, you know, thank you so much for your time, Jonathan. The TheAquavault.com T-H-E-A-Q-U-A-V-A-U-L-T dot com is the website. Where do you want to see the business, the brand go at this time next year?
1: So, we should be in many more retailers. We should be in many other countries. And we're just going to focus on expanding our global imprint as opposed to just here domestically in the U.S.
0: Very cool. Again, thank you so much for your time, Jonathan.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. I definitely recommend having someone that you hire who is more on your side working for you as opposed to you going to the factories not knowing Chinese. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com blog.